Good morning. Don't ever let it be trite when I say, isn't this a magnificent morning? Because it really is a great day to come and say thanks to the God who made it for us. A man, small in stature, was walking slowly through an English graveyard, examining one stone after the other, until finally he came to one in particular. He paused for a moment, traced his finger over the letters engraved in the stone. Samuel Wesley, devoted servant of the church. The young man looked for a long time and then he climbed up on the tomb of his father and he began to preach. It was strange. A man so cloaked in the ecclesiastical garb of the church of the country, a man versed in Latin and Greek, one who taught in the college classroom at Oxford University, respected highly among his peers, one who had stood in the tallest pulpits, spoken most eloquently, most distinguished, now stood uneasily on the tomb of his father and he began to preach at the few who had gathered around. You see, he had been driven out of the church that he loved. There was no pulpit from which he could preach. They had said to him, you are no longer welcome in this church. What grievous crime had he committed? What gross error had been done to drive a man out of the church that he loved? A church that had been served so brilliantly by his father, so tenaciously by his two grandfathers and by his great-grandfathers, the mantle had been passed on from one generation to the next. Such an unlikely person to have no place to speak. His sin, he wanted to find recovery in the church that he loved, a recovery of the things that the church had lost. He had no argument with the beliefs and the teachings of his church. He had no argument with those who served as his superiors. His argument was simple. It was a lover's quarrel with his church. It was his quarrel of the spiritual apathy that had gripped the church. It all started on Aldersgate Day, May 24th, 1738, when this Anglican priest felt his heart strangely warmed and his ministry immediately took a different angle. Prior to this, he had been just another priest in the pulpit. Now he was filled with the fire of the Holy Spirit. He wanted to recover for the church 
what the church had lost from May 24th, 1738 through December 31st of 1738, he was told by every pastor in whose church he preached, you are no longer welcome in this pulpit. In the total of the next year, he preached in only seven churches, and they were close to him after he finished. And what was it that was so undesirable that closed the church to him? A plea for the recovery of what the church was in the beginning. A cry out against spiritual apathy. So many things are reflective of the needs within the church today. We see them in all denominations, not just our own. Our Southern Baptist brethren and sisters have just been meeting and continue meeting in Atlanta, where they are grappling over some of the gravest issues their denomination has faced. Our Presbyterian sisters and brothers are in meeting, grappling with issues that are at the heart of the church. Next week, we as an annual conference will come to grips, face questions, face up to responsibilities, look deep within ourselves to see, are we form without substance? And now let's look at the goings-on at the lake. With that hymn, John Wesley opened his annual conference. And every conference since that day, we have come together singing that great hymn of gathering. And are we yet alive and see each other's face? In the beginning of our church in America, it was a logical hymn to sing because many faces were not seen at annual conference. Of all the ministers sent out on horseback to establish the church in America, more than one half died serving before the age of 30. One third of those sent out died within the five years of their being sent out. It was so rigorous. The terrain was so destructive. The fear from the enemy, the Indians, others who would set upon them on the roadway, and the illnesses contracted out in the wilderness with no one to care for them. And that great writer among them, Francis Asbury, recorded in detail in his journal the great difficulties through which he went in proclaiming the gospel. And when they came together, they looked around because they hadn't seen one another for a year, and they wanted to see who is still alive among us, and there were many whose faces were not to be seen. There will be Buicks, Chevrolets, and Fords, and Toyotas at Lake Junaluska. The horses have left with another age. 
These who come together will be singing again, but they will have knowledge of who is not among them. We're living in a new day, a new age. But the relevance of that gathering hymn is still the same. Glory and praise to Christ be given for His almighty grace. Let me say to you, the Methodist Church is one of the great institutions of the world. Those who would detract from it have no knowledge of what makes it up. Next week, as we come together, we will sing lustily this hymn of gathering, and it will stir the hearts of us all. The bishop will make a state of the union address, the state of the conference, a state of the church. He will tell us where we have failed and we will grieve. He will call us to right those wrongs. He will share with us the victories that we have accomplished, and we will celebrate them together, shouts in our hearts, if not from our lips. And when he sits down, we'll know how human we are. Ideals, clay feet. Then there will be the time in which we will pause for a moment, to remember those who have fallen from the saddle. One of these will be Claude Quillen. Claude was the minister who followed me at the first church that I ever served while I was a student at the University of Tennessee. Claude and I never became friends, but were good acquaintances. We never had a friendship because our paths didn't cross that often, but almost every time we met, we would recall to one another some of the events that took place with Aunt Mandy, with Jenny Propert, Amanda Baker, and the many whom we served in our fledgling days of beginning. Claude fell from his saddle this past year, and he will be remembered along with the many others. It will be a touching moment and the wives of those and the husbands of those who fell will be remembered too. And then those who are coming into the conference just out of seminary, who have never yet held a church, who is at the point of beginning, will have laid about their shoulders the mantles from those who are laying down the work after a lifetime of service. It is a passing of the torch what a beautiful experience it is to see the life of the church flowing from those who have finished the work and kept the faith into the eager arms and faces of those who are just beginning. And then we will sit down and we will put our minds and hearts to the developing of a program that the churches will follow for next year. Some local congregations will take it seriously. Some will not. The seriousness with which it is done will be the determining factor of how vital a church we are, how well we're carrying on the work that Christ has placed in our hands to do. Don't ever look upon the program of the annual conference as something outside of ourselves. Each one of us is a part of it. And how well each of us carries it out determines the success or the failure of what's done. 
Then we will agonize how we're going to pay for it. And it will eventually be prorated to each of the churches that make it up with a challenge. This is the work of Christ. Do it well. Do it proudly. Do it joyfully. And then as annual conference comes to a close, the bishop will stand up traditionally and read the names of every church of the conference and the minister who is appointed as shepherd to that congregation. And as an act of commitment and consecration, lay people and ministers alike will kneel and partake of the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. It is the life of the church at its finest, the work of the church at its best. It has been many years that the Methodist Church has struggled to be God's people in the world. Never in its history has it faced such times as these because the influence of the world is trying to change the church. The values of the church are being eroded they are being lessened to match the behavior of the people, all of Christendom. And now legislation is being proposed to make it official. If we can't transform the, the world, then we'll conform to the world so that the people will feel comfortable in our churches. Never let it come to pass. If we fail in the one who called us apart to be faithful in the least, he will call others to do it as we fall aside. God called a man named Wesley to bring recovery to the church that had lost its way until God calls another, let us be faithful. Amen.